The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. And the fruit of service is peace. Let us be at peace. Again, thank you. Jesus came to a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat down at the Lord's feet and listened to him speaking. Now Martha, who was distracted with all the serving, said, Lord, do you not care that my sister is leaving me to do the serving all by myself? Please tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha. Martha, he said, you worry and fret about so many things, and yet few are needed, indeed only one. It is Mary who has chosen the better part. It is not to be taken from her. A motto of St. Benedict's is Ora et Labora. The Latin phrase has a catchy rhythm that can be translated as pray and work. There's a story of a young monk who wanted to know the reason behind the monastery motto. The abbot told him to get in the boat and he would row him across the lake and explain it to him on the way. Now when the abbot started to row, he only used one oar and as a consequence kept going round in circles 
until the young monk spoke up and said, Forgive me, Father, but you can't expect to get anywhere unless you use both laws. Exactly, said the wise abbot. Now you know the meaning of our motto. We monks have to both pray and work in harmony. The rule followed by Benedictines to this day is therefore not pray or work, it's pray and work. The exiled monk needs both for wholeness of spiritual and physical health. Martha and Mary are like these words of the motto. How different would the situation be if they had first planned how they could cooperate in both showing hospitality and both paying full attention to Jesus. Their efforts together could have afforded time for both to serve the food and drink and both to sit and listen to their guest. What stops this ideal is the surfacing of what has come to be called a vice. Any good thing can be twisted into a temptation which, if followed, can damage us a little. A vice constantly followed can damage us viciously. There was a group of monks in the year three to four hundred known as the Desert Fathers who lived in the Egyptian desert. They didn't leave the world because they thought things in the world were bad. In fact, they saw all creation as good, but our reactions to certain thoughts could be negative. They left the known world to find the tranquillity with which to watch out for these tremors. Among them was a monk named Evagrius. He died in 399. Evagrius took the wisdom of the desert monastics and organised it into a system. He identified eight thoughts that can lead to self-damage. This list was carried to the West by his disciple John Cassian and it became the basis of what we know as the vices. One way vice works is to, for us to follow an inclination, to go along with a thought that wants to put ourselves first. Perhaps the good action of Martha, working to allow her sister to listen, was spoiled by the temptation of envy or jealousy. Jesus, in preferring Mary's action, could be giving the answer to these inclinations. If Martha could have resisted the temptation to speak and just sat down alongside Mary in silence, what would have been the result? Could the two sisters have begun working together again, finding a harmonious solution that would have created a positive atmosphere for all the gathering? Unfortunately, many good actions can be spoiled because they're not done in a true sense of service. Perhaps this is a bit hard on Martha after all, wasn't Mary rowing with one or two? St. Teresa of Lisieux, in her book Something Beautiful for God, gives many examples of how to turn a mundane action or chore into a prayer. Father Richard Rowe, a Franciscan who can be found on YouTube, also advocates avoiding contradictions and arguments by wrapping the inclination to be selfish in silence. 
He explains how the ego uses words to get what it wants. The ego likes to take sides. Whereas Martha, sitting in silence, if she had sat in silence, wouldn't have asked Jesus to take sides. Whereas Mary, who did sit in silence at the feet of Jesus, forgot herself in the total absorption of his presence. The choice to do this is how we too may weaken any vice we may think is troubling our peace of mind. Sitting in silence in the presence of God has to be the ultimate virtue. Well, if not that, then at least it's highly recommended, endorsed by Jesus himself. Whereas we have a choice, be bothered by a selfless inclination when that does occur, perhaps we could try sitting in the cool silence with Jesus instead of sizzling in the hot grip of a vice.
Lord, please come to me in spiritual communion. Send your body and blood gushing through my veins. Send your love into my heart, my soul, my mind. Lift me up to your bosom and infuse me with your divine love. Amen. Tradition of the Mantra, Part 2. Jesus summons us to fullness of life, not to a self-centered reluctance to realize the true beauty and wonder of our being. The Mantra is an ancient tradition, the purpose of which is to accept the invitation Jesus makes. We find it in the ancient Jewish custom of blessing the Lord at all times. We find the Mantra in the early Christian church. We may find it, for example, in the Our Father, which was a series of short, rhythmic phrases in the original Aramaic. We find it, too, in the Orthodox tradition of the Jesus Prayer, the prayer that Jesus himself commended, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The prayer of Jesus himself, as recorded in the Gospel, leads to the same conclusions. Lord, teach us to pray, his disciples asked him. His teaching was simplicity itself. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, but go into a room by yourself, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is there in the secret place. Do not go babbling on like the heathen, who imagine that the more they say, the more likely they are to be heard. Your Father knows what your needs are before you ask them. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is described as praying over and over again in the same words. And whenever he addresses the Father for the sake of the crowd, the word Abba is always on his lips. The same word which St. Paul describes the spirit of Jesus eternally crying in our hearts. Time and again, the practical advice of masters of prayer is summed up in the simple injunction, say your mantra. Use this little word, the cloud of unknowing advises, and pray not in many words, but in a little word of one syllable. Fix this word fast to your heart so that it is always there, come what may. With this word, you will suppress all thoughts. Abbot Chapman, in his famous letter of Michaelmas 1920 from Downside, describes the simple, faithful use of a mantra which he had discovered more from his own courageous perseverance in prayer than from teachers. He had rediscovered a simple, enduring tradition of prayer that entered the West through monasticism and first entered Western monasticism through John Cassian 
in the late 4th century. And Cashin himself received it from the holy men of the desert, who placed its origin back beyond living memory, back to apostolic times. The venerable tradition of the mantra in Christian prayer is above all attributable to its utter simplicity. It answers all the requirements of the Master's advice on how to pray, because it leads us to a harmonious, attentive stillness of mind, body and spirit. It requires no special talent or gift, apart from serious intent and the courage to persevere. No one, Cassian said, is kept away from purity of heart by not being able to read, nor is rustic simplicity any obstacle to it, for it lies close at hand for all. If only they will, by constant repetition of this phrase, keep the mind and heart attentive to God. And our mantra is the ancient Aramaic prayer, Mara Natha, Mara Natha, come Lord, come Lord Jesus.
Spirit come down. Let the Spirit.